Oh, sometimes we have to trust God to see us through because people will let us down, will they not? Sometimes our families will let us down. Our elected officials will sometimes let us down. Even our very bishops, elders, and faith leaders will sometimes let us down. And for people who make mistake after mistake and after mistake, we sometimes let ourselves down, do we not? When you bring yourself down, it can become harder and harder to trust God. It can be harder and harder to trust ourselves. And so that's why we are led to believe in something larger than ourselves, to trust in something that is much bigger than we can imagine. You see, for many, it's trusting in the potential of a divinely inspired humanity and others in a God of grace. And others, oh, the precious spirit, spirit of love, the spirit of life. But whatever label you use for the divine, we place our trust in something larger than ourselves. Will you pray with me this morning? Loving God, it is you in which we live and move and have our being. And God, we are thankful this morning because you have led us to this place. You have seen us through all of our trials and our tribulations. And God, even as we hear the words of Jesus talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, even still, God, we are trusting in this hour. And so we ask you to open our hearts to receive, our ears to hear, and our eyes to see some spiritual truth from you this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. People of God, what happens when a crisis comes about and the God who we thought was in control of everything all of a sudden is M-I-N-A? What happens when a loved one dies prematurely? Where is God, I ask you? When your perfect life takes a nosedive and you lose your job, maybe a relationship, maybe you lose your trust in God. When people are starving all across this world, dying because they cannot, they cannot access food for themselves and their families, simple bread and nourishment, where is this Jesus? Where is this bread of life that we hear about in our gospel today? Do you sometimes lose your trust? I know I'm not the only one. When church after church deny people from the bread and cup at the communion table because they don't believe the right things or because they're not baptized, because they're divorced, maybe they don't act right, maybe their spouse is of the wrong gender, maybe because they have a gluten allergy, and we will not provide an alternative because some churches say that Jesus only lives in wheat and gluten, and that is all. That is truth. That is very true. It can get harder and harder to trust in God, but sometimes it can be hard to trust the words of scriptures and sometimes even the very words of Jesus. In our gospel this morning, we hear, take this bread, Eat this bread, Jesus says. Now it sounds doable, does it not? Only he's not talking about flour. He's not talking about wheat. He's not talking about yeast. We're not talking about Mrs. Baird's or Wonder Bread or even sweet bread, pan dulce. Mm-mm, Jesus is a little too deep for that. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. 
My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. That's what he says. Now, for most of us, these words have been sanitized because we've grown up in church. We've washed these words in Purell. We've wiped them down with some Clorox bleach. You see, we hear these words and we think, what? Why are the disciples getting all in a wad about something? Jesus is just talking about the bread and the cup, right? That's it. Why such backlash from them? Why are they complaining? They're always arguing with Jesus about something. What is the deal? Well, there's a reason why they are complaining in our gospel passage. They're having a hard time with what Jesus is saying because he is not referring to an extravagant, affordable, and appetizing meal at a Houston Restaurant Week's venue. He is talking about devouring human flesh and ingesting human blood. Mmm. Yum. Oh, yes, you look like a bunch of vampires just salivating for some flesh and blood. Unfortunately, this is not an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is not the gospel according to HBO's True Blood. This is our Jesus in the Bible. Now, as far as we know, Jesus isn't a vampire, right? Surely he's not an advocate for cannibalism, right? Now, it may surprise us that for the first few centuries after Jesus was crucified, his followers were regularly accused of being cannibals. You see, today, Christians make all sorts of jokes and insidious allegations against atheists, namely that if they were left to run the world as they please, they would live out their immoral lives with such evil intentions that they would begin to devour human babies. Oh, but there's a great irony in all of this. And that is that the earliest Christians were rumored to eat human babies also with images of the Madonna and child, the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus on display. And Christians going around talking about they're eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. It was quite easy for folks to assume that this cult of Christianity was engaging in cannibalistic feasts. And with Jesus commanding his disciples to eat his flesh and drink that blood, it is understandable for his disciples to express their reservations. I hope you would agree. The disciples are wary of Jesus' words and his choice of menu items, just as we all should be. Now, like many of you, I've eaten quite a few things in my life. Pig's feet, chicken foot soup, menudo tripe, Chitlins, <laughs> tongue, and when you stop to think about it, we put quite a few interesting things in our mouths, do we not? Regularly, the things we put regularly in our mouths. I'm willing to bet that of all the things we regularly place in our mouths, as in for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, regularly, excluding desserts, human flesh, and human blood are not on the list. Why is that? Because it's nasty, that's why. <laughs> to the earliest followers of Jesus, though, it wasn't just nasty. You see, it was an affront to God. It was prohibited. In fact, the only edible meat available for ancient Israelites to consume came from temple sacrifices. 
So people could eat a ritualized animal flesh, but they had to be sure that they did not drink the blood. You see, for in the blood is life, and one shall not eat the life with the meat. That's what Deuteronomy says. Leviticus says over and over again, we read, You shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. You see, blood was reserved for someone else, someone very special, someone whose thirst could only be quenched by consuming the life force of all creatures. Blood was reserved for who? For God. In the ancient world, blood was thought to satisfy the anger of God. Blood was thought to satisfy God's hunger. Blood was thought to satisfy God's thirst. Now, you remember the Exodus story, do you not? When people were told to wipe their doors with blood because that blood would satisfy a bloodthirsty God. And God would then pass over that house without killing the family's firstborn child. You remember this? You see, blood was divine milk, if you will. Not for humans, reserved for the deity. The thought was that since God creates life, God is entitled to consume life. You see, to drink blood was to be like God. The disciples knew this. Jesus knew this. And so why is he going against such ancient Israelite traditions? Why is he blaspheming God? Why is Jesus using such perverse imagery in our text? Now, I will be completely honest with you in saying, like other texts, because of various misinterpretations, I personally do not enjoy the gross images and bloody language in our gospel texts. In fact, it is quite revolting to me. In my view, the lifting up of sacrificial human flesh, whether Jesus's or whomever's, only serves to legitimize the unjust suffering of human lives by way of hate crimes, by way of violent murders, and by way of senseless wars. The imagery of drinking and ingesting and enjoying human blood only serves to legitimize a society where we are willing to sacrifice our very children, our straight and gay children who are bullied in schools, our immigrant children who are labeled as illegal, our poor and homeless children who do not have enough food to eat, our elderly and our uninsured children who are left to suffer and even bleed to death all because we would rather spend money and more money and more money on bombs and guns and militaristic ventures than on the marginalized and the most vulnerable in our society. I personally do not enjoy the imagery in our gospel this morning. It makes me very uncomfortable. But I will also be honest in saying that I've been around a little while in my 30 years to learn that spiritual truth can even be found in the most uncomfortable places. Even in the midst of my own uncomfortabilities, sometimes spiritual truth still shows up. And so in this passage, the more I read it, the more I can see how Jesus is using the most uncomfortable symbols and images to convey a most uncomfortable truth. You see, if only God could consume blood, 
And by Jesus telling his friends to engage themselves in matters that were reserved only for God, then listen to the uncomfortable truth. And it is this, that the followers of Jesus are now able to do what God can do. They are able to embody and be the face, the hands, the feet, the very presence of God in our world. It's so uncomfortable because we would rather be honest. We would rather God live up high in a celestial sphere than in your neighbor next door to you who is just a little too near. Am I right? If you are looking for the spirit of life, then look no further than to your left and to your right. Now, for some of us, it may be a very frightful sight, but not because our neighbors in the pews frighten us. No, because God is supposed to be present in religious folk. We get that. The issue that frightens us is that God is present in those folks who were outside the pews. We're fine with God being right here among the saints, right? Oh, yes. Well, some of us, some of us, right. But not the heathens on the streets. We're uncomfortable because that means that there is that of the divine in every person on this earth. Not just the pretty folks. I hate to tell you, but Jesus wasn't so pretty. Sticking his fingers in people's ears and spitting in their eyes and telling people to drink blood and eat human flesh. Not just the people who have it all together. Not just the citizens of the good old U.S. of A. But every person on this planet, no matter what they believe or don't believe. Now you see, the church historically has been very uncomfortable with the truth that God is in you and God is in me. You see, that's why so many churches today are quick to keep people away from this table. You see, because receiving the bread and cup at this table means a lot of things. You see, because they refuse to see that gay, lesbians, bisexuals, and transgenders, these folk, they can't embody God, deny them. They cannot drink the blood of Jesus. They refuse to see non-Christians embodying God. They refuse to see unbaptized people be like God. They refuse to see that someone who has made so many mistakes in their lives can somehow embody God, just like me who's been a pious religious Christian all of my life? Foolishness. You see, if they can keep people from receiving communion, then they can keep people from drinking the cup and being like God. Then they continue thinking that they are the only chosen ones, the chosen ones that Sarah Miles talks about. They can continue to have power over you. They can keep you from realizing your own divine potential. And they can keep you from realizing God within you. They can keep you void of your true life. There is a series on HBO that I already mentioned called True Blood. Now, this series is mostly about vampires, but there are werewolves, there are panthers, humans... And even a sprinkling of fairies, if you will. Real fairies. As if y'all aren't real. <laughs> but they're all struggling to live with one another in Louisiana. Now, for those of you who have not had the opportunity to see an episode of True Blood, oh, there's no need to worry. Because I can almost guarantee that your life is an episode of True Blood. You see, in the show, there are two camps of vampires those who believe in coexisting with people 
and those who believe people are meant to be sacrificed and fed upon. The latter serve as a very fitting analogy for us today. Now, you may not know it, but there are a few vampires among us. Vampires who you encounter all the time. Certain friends, maybe at work, maybe at home. But we all know a vampire or two, they do feed off of us. Now, you know who I'm talking about. You know that individual who literally sucks the very life out of you? All they do is see the negative in every situation. They incite fear. They spread lies. They tear you and others apart with their cynicism and their hopelessness. And they only care about themselves. And so they suck up all your energy at the same time. Now, just being in their presence creates all sorts of headaches and anxiety. They're not about enhancing your life, not at all. They are about diminishing it. These vampires literally drain you and suck you dry. Now, you may not have believed in vampires before today, but I bet you believe in them now. Because <laughs> we've all been sucked by a vampire or two. And if you're like me, you've probably dated a couple of them also. <laughs> they want to party all night long up to the early morning and then sleep all the next day while the sun's still out. Nobody has time for that. Nobody. <laughs> Too much. We've all been drained by vampires. And if you say you haven't been sucked dry by a vampire, be careful because you might be the one doing the sucking. <laughs> now, people tried to suck the life out of Jesus. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? People thought Jesus only had a few pieces of fish and bread. People thought Jesus was just playing around, that he wouldn't have enough to feed all the masses. Oh, but he didn't let their doubts get in his way, did he not? He showed them that there is truly enough for all. There are people today who are starving to death in our world. Their lives are literally being drained and depleted because of a lack of access to food. Did you know, though, that our world today is able to produce enough food to feed every person on this planet? There is enough for all. That's not the issue. The issue is us, humanity, being too comfortable to act. We don't want to live up to our fullest potential. We don't want to embody God truly in the world. But when you begin to take your initiative and not only receive the bread, but you actually go up and you take it for yourself. And when you ingest the cup, you are telling the world, and most of all, you are telling yourself that you are the embodiment of spirit right here and right now. You are, in fact, affirming that God is no longer some idea outside of yourself. You no longer wish to settle for a God that lives way up high in the clouds. No, you are ready to trust God right where you are in this human flesh. People of God, sometimes I wonder if we sometimes act like vampires towards the divine. That is, we drain spirit's omnipotent power and attempt to tie spirit's hands. Sometimes I wonder if spirit gets tired of our little antics. As Sarah Miles alludes, instead of readily acting and moving beyond our own comfortable rituals of religion, instead of moving beyond the pretty faces we've come to associate with holiness, we continue to ask God to give people around us the bread of life. 
when in reality, God is asking us to go out and do the very same thing. We wait on God, and all the while, humanity's life is draining. Meanwhile, Spirit is waiting on us to use what has already been given. The truth is, you are able to be God's face, God's hands, and God's feet in this world. Our potential is limitless. And so, people of God, take this bread, because there is already more than enough. Amen.